Um, redemption can look different to everybody. When you go to prison, you're told you're worthless and you're subhuman, right? And so then you start to believe that you're worthless and subhuman. This is the strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pierno. episode of the strategy inside everything this is a this is a little bit of a curveball from what we what we often do on the show i'm really uh, looking forward to this conversation today joining us is the president and ceo of defy ventures mr andrew glazier how are you today sir i'm good glad to be here thanks for having me where are you uh, calling in from i am calling from uh, los angeles california if um if people are not familiar with Defy. I want to save that a little bit. Uh, first, I want to go into a little bit of your career, if you wouldn't mind giving people just a, a kind of where you've been and what you've done to catch get them up to speed, and then we'll we'll let, unfurl this story. Sure thing. Yeah. So let's see. I am a uh, native to Los Angeles, so born and raised here, um, and uh, yeah, I had, had a bit of a curving path, but uh, initially coming out of um, out of college, I had designs on um, ruling the world as an elected official. Um, so I worked in government for about five years, mostly in state and local here. Um, and then after doing that for a little while, um, I had this kind of realization that there was all these things I didn't seem to know. And so uh, I um, uh, went to uh, grad school to get my uh, my MBA. Um, I didn't find everything I needed to know there, but it was still good. Um, and, uh, um, you know, at that point, then I, I had designs on uh, giving up and rule the world, but had designs on making millions. So I decided uh, real estate development was the path for me. So you were going to change course from public service into into that real estate development world? Correct. Yeah. Um, and real estate, you know, d- doing infill, residential development, mixed use development, there's a public policy aspect to that about making livable places and things like that. So certainly that was my, 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 uh, angle there was, you know, how do we use real estate development for the good of community development? Um, but on a for-profit, um, level. Um, so I finished business school in 2006, um, which, uh, as some of your listeners may recall was, um, economically, um, an interesting time to be entering the workforce. So it was probably good for, uh, about Real a year. estate development for about a really racing year. You were really right. psyched, and then you hit the wall. With the That's right. So what ended up happening is that um, I went to a small entrepreneurial little group with two other guys, um, and I was a little junior. I was the junior associate there, and uh, initially came in thinking I was going to be doing real estate finance, um, and ended up uh, running a construction site for two years because that was what was there to be done. Um, and so I taught myself general contracting for a little while, uh, which was where I had my first interactions with people who were formerly incarcerated. Um, and that's where I learned about uh, a, a little bit, not a lot, but just through those interactions kind of really came to this realization that if you had a violent felony in your record, it's very hard to get a job. Um, so cut to two years later, it's not 2008, the market has fallen apart. Uh, me and real estate had a mutual parting of ways. Um, a lot of people did. Don't, don't take it hard. That's right. No, but you know, I, I also realized I had this moment where I was like, I don't think I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And um, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing at that point, but I was pretty sure it wasn't that. Um, so a friend of mine was working at a national nonprofit called City Year, uh, which is an education-based nonprofit that's also affiliated with uh, national service. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I had my government service, three years of that had been actually at the school district here. So I had a pretty solid backing in public education. Um, and she, you know, asked me if I would come help out there for six months. And I was like, yeah, okay, well, I'm already working in a nonprofit industry. Might as well, you know, make the world a better place while I'm doing it. Um, so I went there uh, ostensibly for a six-month contract and stayed for eight years. Um, and then um, ended up running... Uh, uh, all the program work for the LA chapter and then uh, of city year. And then after that amount of time, I decided I was ready for my next thing and ended up here at Defy. And how did you discover Defy? Yeah. Um, you know, it was, um, it was a, uh, friend of mine who I had known at city year as well. And when I left city year, I just let people know, I said, Hey, I'm, I'm open. So, uh, send some stuff my way that looks interesting. Defy came my way and I initially came on as the executive director for Southern California, which at that point was a new uh, expansion chapter for the Defy Ventures um, uh, organization. Um, and then after five months in the executive director spot here, they asked me to move into the chief program officer role for the national org. And then four months after that, five months after that, um, it was an unplanned departure from our uh, founder and CEO. Um, and then I was uh, unceremoniously promoted to the CEO president role. Uh, and it's been about 18 months since then. Would you mind telling people about the mission of Defy Ventures? Because it, when I, I read about it, I reached out to you guys right away and said, I, sure. I need to talk to someone there. Yeah. So our mission is to change perceptions about people with criminal histories, to give them their best shot at a second chance. Um, actually really it's changing mindsets. Um, and that goes both for people who have criminal histories and people who, uh, interact with folks who have criminal histories. Um, uh, but changing those mindsets is really what we're after. And our vision is to cut the recidivism rate in half, um, by leveraging entrepreneurship, um, as a tool to increase economic opportunity and to inspire personal transformation. And so you're helping train, teach, empower allow people the opportunity to become entrepreneurs, to learn skills, which are really the bootstrap skills of the American dream. That's right. For both currently and formerly incarcerated. And we think about it of we're creating both entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs. And, um, you know, because we, you know, a big part of our curriculum that we run in prisons and in transitional facilities is career readiness and personal development. But really what we're trying to do is, um, is uh, light, light a fire in people for whom, you know, their fires have been pretty well doused for the last however many years um, and inspire them really to think about what their contribution can be, whether it's them launching their own business or whether it's them working in someone else's business, but really using their entrepreneurial spirit to help grow that business. Um, so that entrepreneurship really cuts across in a lot of ways. When I, when I read, uh, as I was researching before this talk about Defy and its founding, uh, the something I read that uh, Catherine Hoke, who founded Defy, it said that she was on a visit through a prison and mm -hmm. she was inspired by the the prisoners' mindsets, the incarcerated mindset. Yeah, saw that it was very similar to the entrepreneurial mindset. Can you can you expand on that a little bit? I had trouble wrapping my brain around how yeah. what she what she may have seen or what you've seen. Sure. Well, look, I mean, um, when we go in prison, we do this exercise where we ask these series of questions and people sort of share. Um, and if you ever come to prison with us, it's the most powerful thing that we do. But one of the questions that we ask, or one of the statements we make, and people have to say if it's true or not for them, is ha have you ever started your own business? 
And initially, when I asked this question, typically, you know, maybe 40% of our entrepreneurs in training, as we call them, these are the residents in these uh, in these prisons, um, but 40% of them will, will sort of say, yeah, that's true for me. And then when I say legal or illegal, most of the room steps forward um, from the uh, from our, our EITs. And what, you know, why that's relevant is there are plenty of people in this world who are very successful at running illegal businesses. And um, our view is that skills are skills. And, um, you know, if you're running, uh, you know, a 15 block drug empire, and it's not, that doesn't quite rise to empire status, but, you know, um, drug business, right? An, oper an operation. An operation, yeah. exactly, right? You understand supply and demand. You understand marketing. You understand customer acquisition. You understand um, basic operations and logistics and moving product and um, inventory and accounting, right? You may not know that that's what you're doing, but you are doing all those things. Now, you may have very questionable HR practices and be operating in a difficult regulatory environment, but um, but but those skills are, are very transferable, right? And so our goal is to say, look, you have assets. You have skills and knowledge. Now, let us help you channel those into legal enterprise and legal careers because you can take that stuff and you can apply them. And time and time again, you know, our volunteers who come into prison to judge a Shark Tank pitch competition, right? They're blown away by the quality of these three-minute business concepts they hear and the level to which these individuals are thinking through these businesses. And that's why we're doing it, right? And yeah. Who is more uh, skeptical? Are the incarcerated? Are the residents of the prisons more skeptical of the idea of being given the opportunity and being able to really put a voice to these ideas or are the volunteers and the people that you are working with out in the yeah. business community more skeptical? You know, I think when our men and women join the program, right. You know, I think they're interested, but skeptical, they're going to be able to make a pitch at the end of that, um, at the end of that seven month program. Um, by the time they get to the end of that seven month program, you know, you, the, the change in confidence in them is really amazing. I mean, you, you see these people who, you know, somebody said to me the other day, who, somebody who was himself formerly incarcerated said, you know what, all these men in this room, and I was in a maximum security prison, all these men in these room, you know, today they can just be like Steve and Mike and Robert and, you know, and they're back to just being that person again. Um, and, you know, interacting with our volunteers and with confidence and just, being humans, um, and you know, doing these pitches, and uh, that's an amazing change from when they walk in. Um, I think for our volunteers, um, you know, I don't know if skeptical is the right word. Um, yeah, that's fair. I don't want to put a word in yeah, your, in well, your mouth. No, no. I mean, I think I'm I'm trying to describe it when I think the attitudes of people when they walk in. I think they walk in not knowing what to expect. They've heard, right? Because we've been doing this long enough, they've heard or read like, oh, these people are going to do these things. Um, I think what they're skeptical about is that they're going to walk in and they're going to meet people that they're not going to be afraid of and that they're going to find all this talent in there. Um, that's the skepticism that just comes from how we as a society think about a criminal justice system who's in there. Ignorance about incarceration in prison. And, and yeah, it's just, you know, it's a mindset, right? You know, the system is designed to for you to forget who's in there. Um, and, you know, if you haven't been part of the criminal justice system, which, you know, 
most of us haven't, right? Um, uh, you, you just like, and if you haven't had family or other people, which a lot of people do have interaction with it, but if you have never had any sort of interaction or any reason to understand it, right, you have what you see on TV or what you imagine it to be. And so then you walk in and you spend this day with us and you walk out and people just are like, this is not what I expected. I had no idea it was going to be like this. I had no idea I'd meet people like this. And my mind is forever changed. And are, are they involved for the seven, seven months of the program or are, do they show up kind of in a judging phase to hear the pitches only? Yeah, so the volunteers are episodic. So um, we have two big volunteer events. One is at the midpoint uh, and that's a coaching day where we'll have a group of volunteers, 25 to 50 come in at a time. I coach around resumes, personal statements, and the initial business concept. Nice. And then we bring another group back. There's typically overlap with that midpoint group, it's, but it's about half new people um, for that pitch competition at the end. Um, and so there'll be some people who've been there before and some people for whom it's all new. Okay. That's pretty interesting to, to f- I wonder what the volunteers say when they come in for a coaching session and then come back and see the polished pitches is it a big turn or are people already on their way when they No, they are just like i just can't believe how much progress that these these guys made from you know three and a half months ago to here and like i see it myself right i'm in there from the very start and i do the coaching myself too i'll sit down and coach somebody and there's somebody like i don't know if this guy's gonna make it and then in the end they win this pitch competition and you're like wow they just like really figured it out and found it and what's the result? Like what, what happens at the end of a pitch competition? Are they funded or are they, are they? Yeah. So, so we have a, it's a competition. So we'll pick our top five and the top five will um, win um, IOUs because we can't fund them while they're in prison. So they get IOUs for up to $500 um, down to $100. When they release, then we, um, we pay them their prize money. Got it. But not until they're not until they're released. That's right. And then they have an opportunity to join our post-release programming where we actually have a small business incubator where they can actually launch a business if they want with us. Oh, that's fantastic. And it's, yeah. their, and it's their choice at that point if they want to participate or not. Completely, yeah. Our, our first thing for them is you got to get a job. And so something we're really working on right now is building up our employer partnerships um, so that when folks come out, um, we can help get them connected into companies that are willing to hire them. And really all we're looking for is people who are willing to interview them. Um, just an interview. Um, and so what we love doing is bringing prospective employers to prison with us so they can kind of get a sense of like, look, this is who we're working with. This is what they're going through. These are the skills they have. And so then they come out and say, oh, okay, I would, I would hire somebody, you know, I'll interview some people. Right. On um, paper, it sounds like a crazy idea, but then when you meet someone face to face and you say, oh, that's an actual person, they're right. they have right. these ideas. That is right. And so then we have our, our initial work with them is really around continued career readiness stuff. And then once they're stabilized, we'll offer them the opportunity to apply to be in our incubator if they want to start that business. How many funding at the end of that? Got it. How many people are you working with on a, you know, at a given time during a given program? I know you're in several cities. Yeah, we're working in seven states right now. Um, You know, I think we'll probably push a thousand people through our prison program this year. That's amazing. Um, Yeah. And, you know, we're, and then we, in our post-release programming, there's probably, you know, a few hundred in the post-release are you, and you're trying to flip that so there'll be more people in that post-release over time. Absolutely, yeah. So as people come out, so we've been running our prison programming now, really at scale, if you will, you know, more than like a couple of places. Um, we're in 18 prisons right now. Um, so we've been running at this level of programming for the last like two years. Um, so we're really starting to see an acceleration of people coming out now. Um, so we would expect to see 
know, those numbers in our post-lease program grow pretty quickly. Does participation in, in the DeFi program help them uh, meet the release criteria? It does, actually, yeah. I mean, certainly um, it helps them with parole. It helps them um, just programming. They get two weeks out their sentence in California for doing huh. the program. Um, and um, you know, we certainly have seen people go to board, the parole board, where the parole board is like, oh, I see you did DeFi, right? You've met all your other stuff. Great. And it, it, it definitely it, it helps them as a criteria for release. I wanted to ask you, as an executive, you were there, but you came from outside. The company was already, or the organization was already founded. Yeah. You were pushed into this role as president and CEO when the, when the organization was already moving in a direction. And I wanted to know what were the challenges of, you know, I talked to a lot of founder CEOs. Yeah. Talking to an incoming CEO or incoming executive, I just was wondering what kind of challenges have you faced or what was the biggest thing that you started to take on when you stepped into that role? Yeah. So, um, you've opened a can of worms with this question. So (laughs) (laughs) it's a, it's a, it's, it's a fairly long answer, but, um, that's okay. We have time. Okay. So founders are great. I love founders. We have lots of founders that come to our program. Um, founders are great at doing something that I don't do. I'm not good at, which is, um, you know, bending reality to their will to kind of conceive of an idea and then sort of will it into being, right? And that's not what I do. Um, I'm, a, I'm a systems builder and a scaling guy. Um, so I've had to get in touch with my, my sort of startup side because what happened with us is we had a founder who had an incredible vision. Um, she put together, uh, you know, a really visionary program and then, um, you know, had a, a pretty deep case of founder syndrome. Um, and so um, when she left, uh, we were crippled. Because the vision, the vision left with her. Well, it's not so much the vision left with her, uh, the donors left with her. Got it. Um, I mean, there was... Um, even, even worse. Yeah, so, so <laughs> when, nonprofit, when you have charismatic founders, this becomes a real difficult transition. Um, if the founder owns all the relationships and, and from the, and, and if there's a public reception, she owns all the vision, even if they don't, right. Um, when they leave, then you have a bunch of people who are like, well, I'm attached to that person. And so I don't believe that this can survive without her. Right. She, she becomes the brand in a sense. A hundred percent, not in a sense, 100%. You're absolutely right. She was the brand. Defy was synonymous with her name. And so when she left, for a lot of people, the brand left with her. Got it. Right. And now you add a dose of um, of uh, some scandal about press, which we had. Right. Um, associated with the individual. And true or not, right? And much of it was not true. Some of it may have been true, right? But we ended up um, losing a significant portion of our donor base, either from people who said, well, I'm with her, she's the brand. Or she was the brand and the brand is tainted, so I'm no longer with you. <laughs> right, right. Right. And, and you so, had, so you had multiple factors. It wasn't it wasn't just stepping into that role, but you correct. stepped at the time when all these things were happening. Yeah, correct. So um, so when I stepped into the role, we flatlined. Um uh, and it literally went dark for a week. Um, and so um my job coming in was to basically sort of defibrillate the organization. <laughs> Um, you had to jumpstart it. You had to figure no, out how we're going to do it. 
no, no joke. That's what we did. Um, and, um, you know, the, the good news was, is that we have this incredible program that people like you, 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 once you see it, you believe in it. Right? I, I haven't even seen it. I've read, I read two paragraphs on it and I said, I have to talk to somebody there. That's right. And, and so we had this really awesome product, if you will, of like, this is what we're doing. It's really important. It's too important not to do. Yes. Right. Huge asset. Right. So then we just need, we need to leverage that asset and then bring, bring in just rationality. Right. We had to rationalize our, our, our finances. We had to rationalize our workforce. We had to rationalize our program. There were aspects of our program that as a program guy coming in and doing it, you know, said, look, you know, we need to be really clear eyed about what works and where we want to invest and what we, what we need to change. Um, so, uh, the first order of business was let's clean up our finances and make sure we have enough money to keep the doors open. That seems important for sure. Right? Um, and so we were lucky. We had some, some visionary investors um, who were willing to invest in our work and make significant contributions and step up. Um, and um, we need a new, a new business model because the old command and control model that we had as far as growth wasn't working for us. So in a sense, you, you had to play the role of the founder even though that's not what you're typically great at, you had to re re refound it. Yeah. yeah. You had to redefine, okay, this is the new vision based on reality and based on my systems skills that I have. That's right. This I is mean, how I can see it going forward. You know, we, we had a great foundation to build on of like, I mean, look, if you had asked me like 10 years ago, Hey, I want you to, you're going to go into prison. You're going to teach entrepreneurship and you're going to have a shark tank company. I'd be like, you are bananas. Right. I can't do that. Right. So we had that, part that's in my view that was the hard part right that was done right and so then for that it's just iterating it and so that i'm great at so we did a lot of iteration from a, from a business standpoint though it was basically refounding the business model uh and coming up with here's how we do it this is what growth looks like and then taking our program and right-sizing things making some really hard decisions really hard choices Not that um and um you know stuff that was you know so my worst hours in worst worst hours as a professional things that I had to do, um, but things that had to be done. And um, but we've come out of that, and we stabilized, you know, nine months later, which I think not bad coming out of a a total collapse situation. Mm -hmm. um, and we're growing again. And so we've been adding. Uh, we added, you know, three new markets in three new states in the last uh, in the last year, um, and the program is humming and. You know, we're, we've got some new initiatives. Uh, you know, we've, we've, we're doubling down on supporting women. Um, we've got a new program that's uh, piloting for uh, aging 24-year-olds. Um, and, you know, we're, we are uh, building back up to where we were. Um, oh, that's great. Um, so that's great. But, yeah, that was, that was the challenge of taking over from a founder is, you know, anytime a founder leaves, you lose that charismatic aspect of that person and their relationships. And, and there's always going to be some people and, but even in the most orderly transition, it's still disruptive, right? But when you have a very disorderly uh, transition, you get all that plus whatever else you got to clean up. Right. Plus the tidal wave of, of all the other stuff that comes with it. Yeah. Yeah. Now you, you, um, thank you for, for going into that. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, to hear about how you, how you handled that. You mentioned new markets and I wanted to know, you know, uh, how you approach new markets. Is it new markets built around a population? Is it built mm -hmm. around a single prison that you have 
targeted? And then is it finding community sponsors on the employer side and on the sponsor slash volunteer side who will come and, and participate in the uh, coaching and the, yeah. Yeah. So, so here's something that I figured out relatively early in my tenure as CEO is I did not want to be in the position of dropping into a community on a social justice issue like this one and sort of like parachuting and be like, I've got the solution, everybody. So look at me and throw your money my way. Um, (laughs) Right. So um, I just, like, it doesn't work very well. Right. And um, I mean, there's certain organizations that pull that off. Um, This is not, this is not the place to be doing that. So what I look for is a, as a partner, I look for somebody who's already established in a prison adjacent work, right? So re-entry programming, right? Um, the best partner for us is somebody who's already successfully delivering some re-entry services and is looking for a prison in reach program um, and, or is looking for a way to bring entrepreneurship in as a, uh, within their family of programming. Right. And that's where we're going to shine is because now I can find a partner who knows the local landscape, knows the political landscape, knows the funding landscape, is already has community credibility. Um, and they're just looking for, um, uh, you know, some programmatic aspects that they can do in prison. And what I'll say is, look, look, there's good programs all over the place for what we do and the way we do it. I think our program is the best thing out there when it comes to using entrepreneurship in this transformative way. Um, and so uh, what we are able to do is say, look, you existing program, um, why don't you join the Defy Affiliate Network, right? You're still your program, right? You're still reentry program of, of, you know, anywhere USA, right? And now Defy Venture, Defy Affiliate, Defy Ventures is one of your family of programs, you deliver our program as a, almost like in a franchise way. Right. Um, and we're going to provide a ton of technical support. Um, and, uh, and you're going to be part of this network now of other providers who are going to, and you know, the vision for me is to, is to get to a place where I have critical mass where I can bring all those people together annually. And we can actually have a real great exchange of best practice. One of the interesting things about um, criminal justice is for the most part, it is a lot of very local based um uh, organizations, there aren't very many on the national front that are out there, particularly sort of convening people together, particularly on direct service. Right. Um, so we think there's a real opportunity there to kind of come in together as not only a way to provide what we think is a very effective program. We have data that says it's a very effective program on both the inreach and on the op- and on the entrepreneurship side, but also to say, look, we can be a, we can be a, a, a connector between all these programs. You mentioned technology. You said we, we have the technology for this program. What kind of technology are you enabling that uh, makes the program go? Is it is it delivery of information to? Um, so we so some technology. Uh, what I meant to say was technical support. Got it. Okay. Um, so technology wise, I wouldn't argue that that's our particularly our strong point. I mean, we do have a bunch of videos and online curriculum that we use. Okay. Um, we can't do a lot of online anything in prison. Um, most of them. Right. There are strong limitations on what yeah. they're allowed to consume and yeah. time they're allowed. Exactly. So, um, but over time, you know, we, we are, we are what part of what we do offer is sort of a backbone sort of data management system and also the data analysis that we can kind of build some economies of scale there where the, the data comes in, we're able to push it back out and, and use that really from a collective standpoint of what's working. Got it. And then you also mentioned the kind of a franchise model, which that's exactly where I was going when I, when I, I caught you use the word market, mm-hmm. uh, how much of it is able to be copy pasted town by town? Is it 
really, since you're a systems thinker, is it very simple to, to yeah. modularize and add to a new community once there's an organization that's willing to sponsor it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it is very modular, right? We have the books. It's a 1,200-page curriculum. We have the training set up. We can get somebody trained up in like 12 hours. It's designed to be delivered by a layperson. That's great. Um, and then, you know, the data systems are set up. So it's all sort of plug and play. You, Everything's ready. There's surveys. There's other stuff that's collected. It's put into our system. Everything's pre-set up. So if somebody says like, listen, I got the money to do this, um, and we have the relationships, we're ready to get going. We can get people up and running in like three months, um, you know, uh, which is just basically long enough for them to get trained up, you know, make sure they've got all the permissions from their local departments of corrections, from the state departments, um, and then go recruit a class inside and get going on it. Um, and, you know, it's it, it, one of the, the nice things about the program is that it is so plug and play, right? It's, it's built to be delivered by a layperson, but also to develop talent inside the prison so that the people who complete our class then become peer facilitators so then they support the follow-on classes. Um, and then the volunteers coming in, right? You know, what, what we've done is we've made criminal justice from a volunteer standpoint very accessible for people to volunteer and do, particularly from the business community. Because, you know, when you talk to people volunteering, they're like, well, I want to do something that's going to be meaningful that I feel like I'm going to be using my skills to give back. Great. You know how to coach around a resume and a personal statement. You know about business. You're our people. Come right, on. You wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that that would relate to prison in any way, really. I would not have made That's that right. straight line. There was and, a lot of places I think I would go do that before prison. Sure. And and there are plenty of places where you can do that and be meaningful. And prison is just is one of those places. Um, it's I would argue it's more meaningful in a lot of ways than just about anything else you can do because it is so far out of anybody's comfort zone. To get in there and do that. And so from a sort of a growth, a personal growth experience, I, I can't tell you how many volunteers say the same thing at the end of the day. I got more from the Defy EITs than I gave. Right. right? I would imagine so. The inspiration that you must see of, of somebody working their tail off and bringing ideas forward. That's right. In the worst of possible circumstances. Right. right? Um, with with every everything arrayed against them. Right. And they're still there being like, I'm going to come up with an idea and I'm going to try this. And, you know, you, you know, so many people walk out and I'll, see, I'll talk to them a year later. They'll be like, they may never come back. And I'll see them like, that did change my life. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to be volunteering here. Um, but before you and I spoke, I was already queued up to do that. Good. Um, you um, also mentioned that it helps when there's someone inside that already has a program that makes them receptive to this. So you're not out there trying to sell this to every prison, every, you know, group that isn't receptive to it. You kind of look for your people that are aligned and help them understand how to make this easy to execute. And you're taking down the barriers, like any kind of enterprise sales organization. Is that, yeah, we're basically saying, look, you already, you already work with this population in a reentry setting, right? So we're talking to somebody now, um, who runs traditional housing and wraparound services um, for people who have come out of prison, right? They do a great job with that. They know that they would be even more effective if they had an in-reach program where they could go into the prison and start their programming there. Now, they could spend you know hundreds of thousands of dollars developing and refining a program, or they can just come to me, and you know, and they're going right. to get a network, a network benefits out of doing that. Right. Um, and, and I have a program that's, I've got five years of data I can show them like here's what it does. How much of the how much of the work is 
the inspirational side that me, an outsider, and mm -hmm. probably your volunteers hear and react to versus the very practical, uh, almost transactional, hey, you're trying to execute a program. I have a program you can plug into that slot, and I've already done X amount of work, and it's going to work in this way. These things are figured out for you. How much, yeah. are, how much are you talking on those levels when you're working on this? So my, my favorite thing to do is if somebody's interested to say, come inside with me, come and see it and feel it. Yeah. And when you come in and see it and feel it, then let's talk because, um, you know, we're not just looking, I mean, we're, we're a nonprofit, right? I'm not, I'm, I'm not making, I'm not making hammers here. Right. Um, and I, I, what I really want are partners who want to be true partners with us to not only execute our program, but also to give feedback and be like, here's how you could make it better. And here's how we can work together to advocate on this incredibly important issue. And this is how we build up an army of volunteers. We're going to be, you know, eventually be an army of advocates for us. So um, I want people who are aligned in our philosophy in terms of how we approach things, right? There's people who are on um, certain side of the issue where like they go in and they think that they're, you know, saviors, right? I don't want them. We're not right. saviors. I'm not saving anybody. I'm not a paramedic, right? We're empowering people and we're bringing in volunteers and we're creating human connections. And that's what we want to do, right? If you're out to save people, like we're not the right partner for you. Yeah. There's a different right? organization for that. Yeah. You can go do it somewhere else. Right. Um, likewise, there are people who are like, you know, you know, want to call them all ex-cons and like, you're going to, we're going to help the ex-cons and, you know, uh, you know, we're going to, you know, change them from animals. Right. That's, those aren't my people either. Right. You know, um, I, we're, we're doing this work because we believe in, redemption and redemptive communities. And we believe in, um, uh, that all human beings are, uh, are redeemable. And, um, you know, and that doesn't mean everybody's going to get out of prison, right? I mean, don't confuse redeemable with the, with the lack of accountability. That's not it. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is an important distinction. I'm sure that's something you have to discuss a lot. Yeah. Um, but, um, redemption can look different, looks different to everybody. And so I'm looking for people who, who are in this philosophy of, we want to give skills. We want to help them. We want to make sure we want to empower these individuals. So when they come out of prison, they have their best shot at being successful. And, and we talk about second chances, but in reality, I mean, look, let's be clear. So many people we work with, they never had a legitimate first chance. Right. And so we're about fair chances, whether that's a second chance or a third chance or a first chance, we're about fair chances. Yep. Um, and, um, so yeah, so so we're looking for people who are already in the space, understand the population that uh, we're working with, but are looking for a program that will help them become even more effective on the inside because they're already working on the outside. Got it. Yeah, I love I love what you're doing. Um, before I let you go, what's your favorite pitch that you've heard? If you can share it, you have any great ones? There are a couple of good ones. Um, you know, one that. Uh, one of the six in my mind, he was this guy, um, Brett at a city, at a prison here in California. And, um, uh, it was my, my, it was like my first, one of my first, uh, events that I'd gone to when I just started the organization and uh, I sat down with him and he started telling me about how he wanted to, um, cultivate mushrooms. Um, and he wanted to do high end gourmet mushrooms like chanterelles and morals. And I was like, those are really hard. Like morals grow in the ashes of a forest fire. Like what, how are you going to do that? And he's like, I know how to do it. I'm a fourth generation pot farmer. <laughs> I was like, okay. Tell me more. Yeah. You grow mushrooms too. He's like, yeah, I've grown mushrooms too. It's like, okay. 
Um, and then I was like, oh, so that is that what you're in for? And he's like, no, you know, I was a mercenary and I did this, that, and the other. And, you know, I got to say, like, my first conversation with him, this is the career, this is the coaching day, so it's sort of the midpoint of the program. And he was very sort of cavalier about his history. And I was like, I don't know, this guy, I'm not sure. Right. And, um, and it's halfway through. So that's probably, that's that, probably pretty common about half that, point. Halfway through. So, you know, and so I was talking to my program director about it a couple weeks. Ago. I was like, so what about Brett? She's like, yeah, yeah, Brett's interesting. And then the next week she came back, she's like, you know, I talked to Brett and he told me today, he said, you know what? When I started this program, all I could think about was getting revenge on the people that put me here. And last week I realized that I want to have a legacy hmm. and I care about repairing the harms in my community and the legacy I set and the, the legacy I set for my children. And so I'm going to be different now. And that guy came and three months later, he won the pitch competition with this mushroom idea, which is a really good idea. Yeah, it is a good idea. And he's got like four years left to go. Um, and not only did he win the competition, he came back as a peer facilitator and then coached an entire another class of guys. And so I came in for my recruitment day and um, it was the first recruitment I'd ever run. And he was there with me and I did it. And I was like, going a little soft. I was like, Andrew, you got to go hard on these guys. They're not clapping enough. <laughs> and he was so into it. <laughs> and, um, and he, became, he a, became a cheerleader for the whole I thing. Mean, well, it was a full conversion on this guy who was just like had found himself and his center and knew what he wanted to do and how he was going to do it. And then at the end of that program, I was like, Brett, you can coach the next class? He's like, no, I, I'm not. I was like, why not? He's like, well, because I'm, I'm starting college. Oh, right. And so like, here was this guy that yeah. like even better, right? You're like, I'd well, rather I have was like, better. fine, good, fantastic. I will accept that excuse. Um, and you know, he gets out another three years, and you know, at this point, maybe it's two and a half. I'm like, I just can't wait to see what this guy does. But like, it just like, and I wish I, I mean, I don't wish like people were like, oh, it's just that's just that guy though, right? It's like I hear this, I see this happen over and over and over again it's the norm not the exception you have people get to the end of that and they're just like i know what i want to do and i know i'm gonna do it and i'm gonna do it that's amazing i almost if even if it was just brett yeah i would say maybe that's enough like maybe that's worth it if you if you took one person who was a bad person or had a bad experience and they right. saw the way that they could change their legacy through their actions and through learning and they led a whole class yeah right right Maybe that's enough. One person is is a fantastic story. If you're doing more than that at scale, it's even better. But sometimes yeah, well, let's celebrate the let's yeah. celebrate one great story. Sure. I mean, I love where your head's at, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not. Yeah, but, I'm not living it and trying to scale but, it. Like you but are, but. Uh, but but look, I mean, this is the power of entrepreneurship: is that when you go to prison, you're told you're worthless and you're subhuman, right? And so then you start to believe that you're worthless and subhuman. And so when, so when, now when you have a program that comes into like, no, 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 you got it all wrong. You're worth something. You're a human being. You've made some mistakes, but you're a human, right? So let's build on that. And now as an entrepreneur, you can't be an entrepreneur, right? Unless you, you arrive at this place where you believe anything's possible. That's, right. that's, what, that's what being an entrepreneur is, is like, I can do this thing that other people aren't doing. Absolutely. And, and then you apply that to your own life. And so we call our program, uh, the program we deliver in prison, it's called CEO of Your New Life. And we, was like, and that's what we want them to do is believe that things are possible and that will help them get a job. 
that will help them be successful in their life. And if they want to start a business, it'll help them start a business. That's good too. Exactly. Absolutely. All right. Well, this was fantastic. Um, where can people find you online and how can they support Defy Ventures? Yeah, I love it. If they would, we're at www.defyventures.org. Defy Ventures, Defy, D-F-Y, Ventures like Ventures. Um, uh, check it out. If you're in uh, California or um, New York, uh, Colorado, um, Illinois, um, we got events coming up. Um, uh, North Dakota, we're starting to do some programming there. That's very new, so we don't have anything coming up just yet. Washington State, um, we also are doing some programming there too. Um, so if you're in any of those locations, uh, check out our website. We've got links to all the locations. We'd love to have you join us. Um, if you feel moved and you want to support the organization, click that donate button. Um, just to give one plug on on value here. Go for it. In California, to keep somebody incarcerated for a full year is $81,000 per person per year. $81,000 per person per year. Um our program, the in-prison program, is roughly $1,000 to get somebody through seven months. And our recidivism rate, once they release, is 7.5%. That means 7.5% of our people, once they release, go back to prison, actually 7.2. Um, the national rate for the one-year return to prison rate is 30%. You can do your own ROI calculations on that, um, but um, we, we think it's a pretty good value. Um, so anybody who wants to help support us, 25 bucks. Um, you know, a hundred bucks gets a set of books for somebody. Twenty-five bucks a month is amazing. Uh, we welcome any support, uh, and thank you for having me on the sh uh, uh, on the show. Uh, this is amazing. Um, I will include links to everything uh, in this uh, in the show notes. And it was really wonderful speaking with you. Thank you for uh, taking time to to chat. Great, come on out and volunteer with us. I'd love to see you out here. You got it, man. We'll set it up. All right, sounds good. Thank you. Have a good day. Your feedback means everything. Send us a tweet at a Pierno or at strategy underscore inside. Leave us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to. And please, please, please share this podcast with your friends. Let people know you like it and send people you want to be guests our way. We would love to hear more. Strategy Inside Everything is produced and hosted by Adam Kierno. For information about the show or to find out how to be a guest, you can go to adamkierno.com slash podcast. For information about Adam's books, Underthink It and Specific, or to find out how to invite Adam to be a speaker at an upcoming event, please go to adampierno.com slash speaker. Thanks for listening.